Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. God knows what he's up to. God knows what he's doing. He uses seasons like this, that even if the enemy meant these things for harm and for death, we know that he turns these things for good, that he takes something that the enemy wants to use to destroy, distort, and to create divisiveness, and he actually takes it and starts to create redemption. Hi, I'm Paul Perot, and welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Gabe is off this week. Uh, well, sort of. He's, uh, he's resting up after the recent Culture Summit in April, and so he's not in studio, but we'll actually be hearing a lot of him today. Now, usually here on Q Ideas, we hear talks from or conversations with great thought leaders. Most of these talks come from Q events like the Culture Summit, formerly known as the Q Conferences, Town Hall Summits, and other special events like the Next Gen Summit. Many of these events events start with talks from Gabe to help cast the vision for these events. Well, let's hear a couple of those today. First, we'll go back several years to an early Q conference. One thing you'll notice if you've ever attended a Q event like the Culture Summit, Gabe and the team try to address issues that some might be afraid to address but need to be addressed. That takes courage. In fact, to start the Q conference that year, Gabe addressed that very point. Let's listen in. Courage, if it's just bravado, it's kind of meaningless, right? Kind of beat our chest and say, I'm courageous. But courage, where where does it have its roots? Its roots come from conviction. You see, if you don't have conviction, you can't have properly ordered courage. And you realize you can't have conviction, you can't make up conviction. We see in God's word that conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes... He will convict the world and show where right and wrong and judgment lie. He will convict them of wrong. And then it gets a little harder, right? Harder to hear. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Right? These are the words of Jesus. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I am come to part asunder a man from his father and a daughter from her mother and a newly married wife from her mother-in-law and a man's foes will be they of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life on my account will find it. You see, these are hard words to hear, right? We, we know Jesus is somebody who loves. We know peace is part of what we understand Jesus wants to bring. But there are clear words from Jesus that says, look, in some ways what I'm bringing to is a sword. And that sword, the the tip of it is conviction. And what is the conviction that I've put in your hearts to act out and to live out? And a lot of those convictions have to do with how we love our neighbors, how we do so well at the the great commandments, right? To love our neighbors. But also part of that sword is, man, your mother and father might not agree with you or your friends might, might think you're wrong. And you might lose a relationship over talking about something you're convicted about. That's not easy for us in this current cultural moment to digest. And yet it's right here in God's word. You see, spiritual courage, I think, is what's needed for us right now. 
think we're walking into times where there's a lot of uncertainty. I think a lot of people in the church feel like there's not a lot of leadership. We're kind of uncertain of how to move forward. We want to be people who are faithful to the gospel and to the good news. And yet we walk into cultural circumstances that sometimes are very conflicting, hard to understand. You know, when that starts to happen, I tend to look back. I find that, that when we look further back, we can gain some confidence to realize this isn't the first time we've walked into these kind of moments. Chuck Colson reminded me of that many times. We would have these conversations about current issues, immigration. We talked about just war theory. We talked about sexuality. We talked about, you know, a lot of the hot topics. He goes, Gabe, you, you realize this isn't the first time the church has dealt with these things, right? And I'm like, well, wait, no, it kind of feels like it is. Like, it kind of feels like we haven't dealt with some of these things. He's like, no, no, no. The church fathers have talked about and written about this for years. You just need to do more reading. I'm like, you're right. And so it took me back. But, but I want to go way back, and I just want to read this passage from Daniel 6 that I found very compelling. Because I see Babylon as this interesting example of a time where the people of God were in a space that felt very uncomfortable. And it wasn't a place that they were necessarily uh, certain of their place in, in the culture. And then here God raises up a man named Daniel to be a part of the kingdom, to actually have leadership. He was somebody who had favor within this probably very um, cosmopolitan world. But in the midst of that, there's a moment, there's so many great stories here, but, but we all know the, the, the lion's den story, but do we remember why Daniel ended up in the lion's den? You see, when you go back to Daniel 6, what you see is, is, is the people around him were jealous. They were jealous of his influence. And so they conspired with the king, and as they conspired with the king, they basically said to Darius, will you sign this edict or decree or this ordinance that basically says anybody for the next 30 days who doesn't pray to you will be thrown into a lion's den? And so they persuade him to do it. He's not thinking about Daniel. He's not thinking about much of anything, but he does it. And here's what's interesting about scripture. It says this, okay, you ready for this? So King Darius signed the writing and the decree. This is verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, okay, so Daniel knew this happened. And the king was one of his friends. So his friend had signed this decree, this ordinance for the city. And it says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and opened his windows and his chamber toward Jerusalem, as he had always done. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed. And he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, Daniel knew that this wasn't necessarily the popular thing to do. This wasn't going to be a socially sustainable way to live his life, right? It wasn't going to be physically sustainable to live his life. But because he had conviction deep in his heart, he had the courage to walk forward and to say, I'm going to actually go open my windows and I'm going to pray because I trust God. And I trust the conviction in my heart of how I'm supposed to live even in these times. And as he does that, they went before the king. They tell on Daniel the king's heartbroken because he realizes what he's done, but he has to put him into the lion's den. And then the next day when he comes to the lion's den, he's, he's torn up all night, can't believe um, what he's done. But he says, Daniel, if your God can save you, any God can. And so he goes back and, and of course, Daniel hasn't been touched. And so what happens? He says, the king commanded that those men who had accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions. They, their children, and their wives... And before they ever reached the bottom of the den, the lions had overpowered them and had broken their bones in pieces. Right? This is kind of gripping stuff, right? So, so the story goes like this. Daniel has conviction. He has courage to live out his conviction at a moment where he knows this is ultimate death for him. But yet he trusts God and he trusts that history's on his side. He trusts that being faithful is actually what's being called for in that moment. And he walks forward into that. 
And in walking forward into that, he can't predict what's going to happen, but he has faith in God. And what happens? The whole story turns. The king actually comes back to God and worships God. And therefore, that affects the land. And so my point here is this. We need to be the kind of people that have courage, but not just aimless courage, not just bravado. Courage that's deeply rooted in conviction. And conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us through God's word. One of the things I've been more convicted about than ever over the last year is our need to be back on our knees and in the word. I'd gotten away from it for a little while. You know, I'd read the Bible here and there. But it became very clear to me that the only way we can make it through these times is to actually understand our history and to appreciate how God speaks to us through his word and that in doing so, he will reveal to us truth. He will reveal to us how to go forward and he'll give us that conviction that can lead to a courage that doesn't have to be mean, but can be winsome, loving and kind and help our world flourish. Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that was Gabe Lyons, a talk he gave at one of the early Q conferences. And you know, it really helped set the stage for the event that year. And you know, it really does express the spirit of Q, especially in these days. Engaging hard topics courageously and biblically, it's something Gabe and the Q team have been known for, even during the hardest of times, like the start of the pandemic back in the spring of 2020. There were so many uncertainties and new crises that needed to be addressed, But how? The Q Conference was almost canceled, but the team quickly worked to make it a virtual summit. Now, in the midst of that, Gabe started the event that year, that virtual summit, with this talk called Raising the Signal Flag. Let's listen to it. It was in August when I shared earlier, I had this encounter where God just made it clear. Look, the spirit and truth together goes forward. You cannot have one without the other, or you actually are missing an incredible element of what God is trying to do in the world. I woke one morning and my wife, Rebecca, she had been uh, praying in the middle of the night. And this has been the case many times over many years where when the Lord awakens her in the middle of the night, She's in a prayer closet. And uh, in that particular morning, I went in and she was, she said, look, God gave me some words for you last night. And I don't know quite what it means. And so I went into her closet and I got down on my knees and she had her Bible spread out. And there was this portion of scripture that was circled and it had my name on it. And she said, Gabe, she'd written it. And so I read the scripture and, and it caught me by surprise. And, and here's what the scripture said. Tell the whole world, Babylon is falling. Raise the signal flag. Keep nothing back. Babylon will fall. It was Jeremiah 52. And it was in that scripture, as I read it, that I was caught off guard. What does this mean? Raise the signal flag? Babylon is falling? I know Jeremiah is a prophet. I know if you read the prophets in the Old Testament, you know that they have a lot to say. And sometimes it doesn't always make sense. But you start to see these prophecies come true. And I knew it could be trusted. And so as I got into it, one of the things that interested me about this passage was this idea of raising the signal flag. What does that mean? Raise the signal flag? 
as I considered more and more, what does that mean? And I started to look into that and research that and Google signal flags and try to start understanding that. I realized that when you go back in time, that a signal flag was something that was primarily used on ships. It was a way that ships would communicate with one another. If they couldn't hear one another, they couldn't shout to one another, these signal flags would be sent up. And they were usually on the front mast, very tall. It was the one thing everybody could see, and it helped everybody understand this is what's happening. This is our communication to you. So times of war, they might raise a red flag. Um, at times where they were trying to just unite together for a tactic, they might raise a different colored flag. But signal flags go all the way back into time. And so when Jeremiah is saying raise the signal flag, he's saying raise the alarm, communicate, tell the whole world, hold nothing back. Babylon is falling. Now, we know throughout history, Babylon does fall. Babylon being a city that's located, if you go into the Middle East, south of Baghdad and Iraq, if you went there today, you'd see it in rubble. It's not a city. That was also predicted by our Old Testament prophets. But what we find when we look into the scripture and we start to understand the idea of Babylon, and I start getting my head around signal flags, and this is back in August and September God also leads me to, to start a men's group and a Bible study and says, look, you need to gather some men. You need to be going through scripture together. And so we start doing that. We go through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude. By the end of January, it's time to go to Revelation. It was the next logical step. But not being a biblical scholar, I was one that was a bit intimidated by that. And I thought to myself, I, I don't know that I want to tackle Revelation but when I read Revelation, and if you haven't read Revelation in a while, it's quite fascinating. But Revelation 1, the third verse of Revelation 1 says this, and this is what convicted me. It said, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. But when I read that, I was convicted. I said, of course, I, I'm intimidated by this, but this is the only book in the Bible where it says God blesses those who read this the prophecy of this, and he blesses those who listen to its message. So now over the last 11 weeks, with a group of men, it just concluded yesterday, we went through Revelation together. And as I'm reading Revelation, I'm starting to understand this theme of Babylon is coming up again. It takes me back to Jeremiah and this understanding that raise the signal flag, tell the whole world, hold nothing back, Babylon will fall. What does that mean? Clearly, we see throughout Scripture, Babylon is representative of a spirit that's much bigger than just a particular city. And the more understanding we get around Babylon, and I got under Babylon, I started to see Babylon represents the spirit that is an antagonist to the things of God. That we have God's kingdom, and we essentially have this Babylonian idea and the spirit of Babylon that the enemy is trying to advance. And in him trying to advance that spirit, it is in direct conflict with the kingdom of God. And so as we go throughout Revelation, we start to see that God wants righteousness and justice. He's patient, but he wants it. And that ultimately Babylon will fall. But it helps us to understand, well, what does that spirit look like? And could that spirit of Babylon that the enemy's leading, could it infiltrate my life? Could it be something that I've actually taken on, that I've helped move forward, that I've not been aware of? And so I wanted to share with you just a, a few thoughts about the spirit of Babylon and, and just the understanding of what that spirit represents. One of the words that represents the spirit of Babylon is rebellion. Just outright, I'm against authority. I don't want to sit under authority. I don't want anybody outside of my own thinking and my thoughts to tell me what to do. I don't want somebody to tell me what's true or not. 
I want that to be up to me. And rebellion becomes a centerpiece of the spirit of Babylon where we just push back on everything. As you look, even over the last 20, 30 years, we see kind of a deconstruction idea playing out in Western societies. We see our societies moving away from authority, moving away from institutions, deciding that we don't need some of that history or we need to deconstruct it even if we don't have anything else to build. Those things come out of a spirit of rebelling. And so we see Babylon's spirit of rebellion. Another idea and facet of the spirit of Babylon is deceit. It's lying. It's not telling the truth. It's actually drawing people away towards a different idea that doesn't really pay off. It's like idolatry. And we see that in Babylon, lots of idols. We start to put our faith in things that aren't real, aren't true, can't deliver. They promise everything, but they deliver nothing. And so we can see that spirit operate. I think of the spirit of seduction, another spirit of Babylon, seducing us kind of sexually or immorally, seducing us into decisions, into lifestyles, into ways of thinking that move us away from God's best from us for us, move us away from what he desires and what he has designed that will lead us and lead our spirit and lead who we are as human beings to ultimately flourish. You see, that spirit of Babylon is alive and well today. Another spirit of Babylon, pride. Okay, the spirit of Babylon, pride, it's hubris. It's, it's this idea that we know better than anybody else, that we're smarter we can think through it. We can solve our problems. We see this play out in our own human progress ideas that as human beings, we can just keep advancing, advancing, advancing. And the further we go, of course, we can create a better world. Of course, we are responsible for creating that better world. And we start to believe the lie that, about ourselves that we can be like God, that we ultimately are the ones that can determine our future. You know, another spirit of Babylon, and I'll, I'll list this as one of the final ones, and we could go on and on about some other variations of these, but the spirit of Babylon, that is greed. And greed is one of those spirits that, uh, as Tim Keller has pointed out, you know, never met a person who understood that they were greedy or who acknowledged it. We don't always know that we're greedy when we're the greedy person. We want more. We take more. We, we want a certain lifestyle. We want comforts. We, we think about that. We try to give away maybe some things, makes us feel better. But the reality is this spirit of Babylon truly takes away life and it starts to put life into a category that's unattainable. The pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of comfort, the pursuit of safety, some perception of safety that we can guard ourselves off if we have enough things, money, locations. You see, when I go back to Jeremiah 52, when he says, tell the whole world and keep nothing back, raise the signal flag, Babylon is falling. I can't help but look at our moment, look at our culture, look at the season and see that we're experiencing this battle play out. We're seeing the spirit of Babylon alive and well, but also starting to get crippled. We're seeing the kingdom of God break forth in new ways that are outside of man's control. And we're all living in the midst of that. And if we have eyes to see, we can start to see what he's up to. What are, what are the ways we see some of this playing out, even in our culture, in our pop culture? I think of Harvey Weinstein, right? Everybody knows that name now. Incredible success by the world's terms in the film category and really running Hollywood and making things happen there. And over the course of the last couple of years and finally this year, arrested for rape, for sexual misconduct, for ways in which treating women, seducing women, using greed or, or hubris. And then we see that tumbling down and we see it tumbled down and exposed to the whole world, right? That that's, seems like something falling in Babylon. 
I think of another artist, just to stay in the artist pop culture category, Justin Bieber, right? Now, Justin's somebody that, again, you may not be a fan of his art, but you can't deny that over this last couple of years, God's done a renewing work in his heart. He's reading Tim Keller books on marriage. He's celebrating and humbly talking about how much God's changed his life and how he knows if he would have stayed on the course that he was on, that path was going to end horribly for him. And instead, he starts to turn. And you start to see redemption taking place. And you see him starting to celebrate that. Now, again, you might not relate to some of these characters. And we could go on and on about where do we see the spirit of Babylon falling? Where do we see God's kingdom rising? But I would say to each of you, if you were to take account over the last year, are there some ways you've seen greed fall? Pride fall? Are there some ways in which seduction is no longer seducing us? You see, I go back to the signal flag. One of the curiosities, of course, I had. And I love research. I love history. I like trying to just better understand what's taking place. And so I, I went in and tried to understand, well, what are signal flags today? You know, they, they, in history, were used on these ships, but what does it mean now? Jeremiah was talking about this thousands of years ago. What, is, what does that mean now? And as you follow along, you, you start to see, well, signal flags are still used today. They're used to communicate. They're used on vessels. They're still used in our nautical world. And so being the curious person that I was, I wanted, to, I wanted to see how they're used. And so what you find is there's a flag and a color for A through Z, for every letter in the alphabet. You can see that right here. We also have the numbers and these pennants. There's also what they call repeaters, different flags that help them communicate with one another in between these flags going up. And knowing that I led something called Q, I thought, well, I wonder what the letter Q represents. And so we go to the Q flag and realize the Q actually is this yellow flag and it's called the yellow jack. And the yellow jack has been something that over the last uh, many, many years has been flown on a ship. And you know what it represents? The yellow jack represents quarantine. The yellow flag is what a ship flies when they're saying our ship is healthy. We've quarantined. We are healthy. We are clean. Can we now make port? In fact, the word quarantine comes out of when ships would sit outside of Venice back in the 14th and 1500th, 15th century, and they would make them sit for 40 days outside of the port because they wanted to make sure they were clean, that they were healthy, that they were in a good place before they would enter into their country. Well, the symbolism was starting in my mind to, to, to be so obvious. As we sit here today, in fact, we're in a quarantine. Many of us are in our homes. We didn't choose this or plan this, but this is where we're at. In fact, if you go back in, in the United States, and I know we have many people gathering from all over the world, but in the United States, today actually marks 40 days since the beginning of our national emergency on March 13th. 40 days that you and I have been in a new set, a new change. 40 days, 40 is a number that God uses throughout Scripture. We find throughout Scripture that the 40-day moment always represented change. 40 years, 40 was a significant number. And I wonder over these 40 days as you reflect, before we move forward, before we think about the future, what is it that God's trying to change in our hearts? What is it he's asking us to repent of? How has the spirit of Babylon become such a part of our own life? My own greed, my own hubris, my own knowledge that I know better than God. Or that even as we go through a season like this where we're told, stay home, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, we find ourselves in a moment where we feel uncertain about that and we could worry and we could wonder where things are going and we could get consumed with the future. And you know what it's teaching me is we can trust God. 
that God knows what he's up to. God knows what he's doing. He uses seasons like this, that even if the enemy meant these things for harm and for death, we know that he turns these things for good, that he takes something that the enemy wants to use to destroy, distort, um, and to create divisiveness. And he actually takes it and starts to create redemption. And so our prayer over these couple of days is this is a moment where even though we're at the end of a 40-day moment and it could go many, many more weeks and many more days, that we take account, that we ask God to help us see what are the things he's sifting out of our lives? What are the areas that we needed to repent of, that we've put too much, uh, too much stock in? Our way of life, our busyness, our jobs, our careers, our future, all of our future plans, everything that now has been put on hold and now has been put into a place of uncertainty. What does it mean to give that back? What does it mean to say to God, will you move in my heart, in my life? Will you help me see better what it is you're trying to do in redeeming me and quarantining me and getting me healthy before I re-enter? You see, we're all re-entering I don't know what that will look like for you in your country, in your state, in your city, in your town, your community, your workplace. But as we re-enter, we want to re-enter understanding a few things that we can trust God. We can trust his word. We can trust this truth. But we also understand the spirit of Babylon is falling. And you know what the final verse says? It says in Revelation 18, 4, come out of her, speaking of Babylon, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. Revelation says to the church, come out from her. Don't be like her. Be countercultural. Well, again, this is Q Ideas, and that was Gabe's talk that opened the 2020 Q Virtual Summit as the pandemic was starting to rage here across the United States and around the world. And as you listen, maybe you noticed it still speaks to us now as we continue to live in a world of so much uncertainty with many Babylons that are trying to claim to rule. But we still hear God's kingdom call and we know these Babylons will fall. So are we ready to proclaim that and be part of bringing hope and flourishing to our communities and the world? That's why Q does what it does year in and year out, to help you think well and advance good. That's why Gabe and the team put on events like the recent Culture Summit, which, by the way, you can still get a virtual pass to watch all the main talks. Just go to qideas.org slash 2020. Plus, we have a lot of great talks from past Q events and other great curated content to help you think well and advance good on the Q Media platform. If you're not a subscriber yet to Q Media, you still can request your free 30-day trial. Just go to qideas.org to learn more. Hi, I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. We hope you listen again next week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.